Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, as well as hitting the like button and the notification bell so you never miss a video. If you prefer audio format, search Gifted Performance on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting service and subscribe today. Make sure you also rate and review the podcast as that helps us out tremendously. Enjoy the podcast and stay gifted. Welcome back. Another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast, the GPP, where we provide you the knowledge and practical takeaway to improve your own general physical preparedness. Starting things off today on a question and answer episode, I have a question that the three of you are going to have to answer for me. That question is, when you had to record your Q&A for the Mentoring Lab, by the way, shameless plug for the Mentoring Lab, go sign up, $99 a month, you get access to the training programs, nutrition templates, and these three big brains right here. Look at Dom's brain right now. I I think it's honestly growing because it's like busting. You got to adjust the snapback there, sir, because it's busting out the seams. When you did that Q&A for the group and it took you 45 minutes to intro, what were some of the what were some of the outtakes there? What were the worst intros that you threw on there? Oh man, uh, I don't know if it, I think at one point in time I was just trying to do whatever you say verbatim, and that <laughs> I would just fail miserably every single time. I don't think they were necessarily bad per se. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I think it was just the perfectionist in me needed it to be like very squat father-esque and it was not it was like squat brother-in-law-esque a few times it wasn't even close a few times so we have to remove like eight minutes of it because there was <laughs> nudity <laughs> so those who are in the mentoring lab that did see that final product know that there was like uh like steven spielberg level editing process <laughs> that went down to get that thing up to where it was acceptable for presentation so my computer didn't even want want to let me edit it because it was almost two hours long. I was like, what <laughs> the fuck? But my, in my defense, I thought it was going to be like on the YouTube. So I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta nail this the first time out. And then I did, and I'm like, oh. And then I just got super nervous because I thought there there might be millions of our followers, you know, viewing this. Yeah, literally dozens of people might have seen that and come to your door and been like, Jay, come on. You're better than this. Do better. You're supposed to be the complete meathead. You're like the 98% complete meathead if you can't intro a podcast. True. All right. right. All right. All right. Let's get into Dom. Is there anything you wanted to add? No. Dom, what, what endurance stuff are you doing today? And what are you most worried about? I'm not doing endurance today. I'm oh. doing it um, Thursday. Thursday? I saw a lot of deadlifts on there. How's your lower back feeling? Uh, it feels like there's a third one growing. Oh, a third what growing? Lower back. You know, like there's like two. There's like a third one coming. Branching out all over the place. The man's got a back butt, butt on his back. I was hoping there'd be a cooler answer for a third something growing on your body. <laughs> Come on. This is an official episode. We got to keep this thing PG-13 at worst, Paul. So keep your shirt on. Keep those nipples at bay. 
All right. I wore an extra tight that shirt. That was the perfect timing, movie. Pancake. Pancake, so, that was the perfect timing to come in with a couple of your little grunts right there. There's our fourth or our fifth <laughs> podcast member right there is Pancake, who comes in and does her little piggy squeals. You guys know what a pig's favorite kind of bread is? Can you see her? Where is she? She's you guys know? The whole time. A pig's favorite kind of bread? A pig's favorite kind of bread. I don't know, rye bread? <laughs> No, it's wheat, 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 wheat. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if because I am a dad, but I just love corny jokes now. Like dad, I follow probably like fifty dad joke pages. Just I've like, seen that one. Then I I just view so many. You know, I can't really you keep. You know what uh, I love, dude. Oh, I love God. those like <laughs> those gay porn memes where it's like when you have to switch <laughs> to see the board. <laughs> like <laughs> I love those, dude. I think we go to like, cut out the clip the from this episode. That's that's the one we'll cut out right there. Just that. Quick four seconds. You guys know what I love? Those gay porn memes. <laughs> All right, we are going to answer some actual questions today, as we always do. The first one, I cut out the first part of it because the first part of it was going to trigger Dom to no end. It was, what's the best training program, which is just a question that makes none of us happy. But the second part of the question is actually a good one. It comes from at Matthew Saylor, and Matt asks, how many rest days, we'll say within a week, and when should you use those rest days? So how do you guys like to go about programming your rest days or your clients' rest days for that matter? Every Sunday. No, I don't fucking. Oh, man. I like to have people do something like two or three on, one off. Something like that I think is a good spread. Um, I think uh, once you start doing appreciable amounts of volumes – that training more than a few days in a row can get pretty rough and uh training something like six days in a row yeah i mean it just gets really rough i think like from a psychological perspective uh you know physiological or just your your physical tiredness um and just needing a break and yeah man you know all that shit the psychological too of just being able because I mean the gym kind of like once you start getting pretty serious and training starts taking over an hour or so sometimes an hour and a half like that takes up a lot of people's day you know like I know for me like getting ready for the gym getting to the gym coming back from the gym eating taking a shower I'm like dude that was like a four-hour process even though I only trained for like an hour hour and a half you know yeah, I like. I, uh, I know that wasn't like a great. I've been doing two on. Oh. I've been doing two on one off. It feels feels a little bit better, but I think it's because my volume has gotten pretty high because I switched one of my days to like all endurance stuff. Um, so like those other weightlifting true days, volume's gone up. So I've had to like, I like the two on one off, two on one off um, approach. I feel I feel a little bit better doing it like that. Real quick, I will say I, I have done and made programs that I liked that were like six days straight and like one day off. But um, when I did it that way, 
I only did it that way because some of my days were so short that, you know, it, it really wasn't a big deal for me. I know for me, if I once I start going more than a few days back to back to back, uh, and my training sessions are, you know, approaching that hour and a half mark and I'm doing a ton of volume, it just becomes like a lot. Yeah, I think okay. I usually, when it comes to programming for other people, I, I, I often, I try to make it as, I don't, I hate that word custom, but I try to basically sort of make sure that it fits their life in some way, shape or form. You know, people with families, you know, we tend to like having some days off on the weekends. Um, somebody that's single and really doesn't have anything else to do. You, you know, you run into those people that just love being in the gym. And those are the people where you're like, I could probably give you six days a week and you wouldn't flinch because you just physically love being in the gym. I work with a guy where, you know, our first program, I gave him four days a week and he was kind of like, uh, like didn't know what to do. And he would try to go to the gym and do light weight stuff on his days off is what he thought was active rest. And so I just said, let me just give you six days, like just go. And his volume isn't super high overall. So systemically he's not getting like a ton of fatigue, especially earlier on in the mesocycle. I mean, towards the end, of course, the closer or, you know, the closer you get to uh, failure, of course, you're just going to start to feel it. But as long as you kind of keep track of all that stuff and not give them a ton of volume and keep them really close to failure, you can kind of mitigate that stress a little bit. Um, so I think it just depends on the individual. And usually what I do is I'll ask them before I start working with them, I'll ask them, like, what are you doing now? You know, if they say, like, oh, I'm doing four days now. And here are the reasons why. Then I might just keep them at that four days and not necessarily like radically change the thing that they're doing, just kind of make what they're doing a little bit better. But then if it gets to the point where, hey, you're doing so much volume to make progress, I mean, it just makes sense to add on another day and then make these other sessions shorter. That makes more sense. So it just depends on the person, I think. I have something to add there. I, I've had this happen a lot where I'll pick up a client and they're like, why do I have to take um, this off day once every three days or two on three off, whatever. I'll put in a number of off days, one or two, usually a week, something like that. Um, and they'll be like, oh, I don't need off days. And to me, that sort of signals that like they, something is not right. Either they're not training as hard as they think they are, or they're really bad at ignoring and don't really know when when their training is and, and what their fatigue feels like and when they're starting to kind of feel shittier. Um, or they're maybe not, they may be training hard, like uh, in terms of how they perceive, but they're maybe not progressing their training like they should be, like tracking things and, and constantly kind of pushing that dial. And so what I found is usually I'm like, okay, no, fuck that, you're taking these off days. And we start tracking their training and we're making sure that they're constantly trying to work a little harder than uh, they have been, you know, pushing uh, RIRs, adding load, adding reps, occasionally adding volume, stuff like that, sets or whatever. And most of the time they come to really appreciate those off days. And a lot of times they even really come to appreciate deloads as well. Yeah. I think, uh, <clears throat> have you ever run into someone that's like, uh, I'd like to train six days a week and then they report their performance and their performance is like a hundred pounds. Uh, the RIR is supposed to be one and it's like 12, 12, 12, 12. I'm like, so you did four sets of 12. There was no fatigue at any given time. No. And you I don't like, fatigue. Yeah. 
I would get tired. You were, you didn't actually know, but you were training Kevin Gates, and he don't get tired. <laughs> so a person like that, I'm like, okay, let's reel in this whole entire thing, and I bet we could get a good amount of work done in four days as opposed to six, because that work that you're doing is probably not very good. Yeah. And I like when you start giving people a combination of off days, occasional deloads, easy weeks, and they, they start to pay attention and all of a sudden they start to realize they become more familiar with how they feel like after a number of weeks of hard training and what feeling like shit feels like when that was just kind of like maybe their norm or whatever. Um, and yeah, they, they start almost like, they're like, yeah, man, like, thank God I have this off day. Thank God I have the few days off coming up for a deload or whatever. Yeah. Here's a, here's an argument that I've heard before. Here's an argument that I've made before in my younger years. Hypertrophy training in and of itself is locally fatiguing in that is primarily locally fatiguing in that when you train your arms, your arms become fatigued. And when you train your legs, your leg musculature becomes fatigued. There's not a ton of central fatigue that accrues um, from hypertrophy training, given that it is progressed in a reasonable manner and you're not training to failure or extremely close to failure week over week. So the argument that I've heard from people is that, you know, why can't I train six or seven days a week, given that I am splitting up my body parts? If I'm doing push pull legs three times or twice a week, aren't I recovering my push muscles during the two days when I'm doing pull and legs? Aren't I recovering my legs enough when I'm doing my push and my pull over 48 hours to basically just train straight through or at least train six out of the seven days of the week? What what's um what's kind of your response to an argument like that? Because I have trained like that before I did a I don't know how I survived it, but I did a 21 week prep where I, I didn't miss a single day of training. I didn't take a single off day from training. I trained seven days a week for 21 weeks straight. Dude, I feel that. So I want to attack that from a couple angles. One, I, I don't think we really, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we have really great methods for me measuring CNS fatigue, right? Like, I think we have some methods and we can kind of, you know, measure, I think, like some indirect stuff or whatever. And we do know that, like, some of that CNS fatigue, like, uh, recovery can, some of that recovery happens really fast, like within minutes and hours, you know? Uh, but... And I don't know where the fatigue comes from, but the fatigue happens, you know, like when you train really hard for like weeks on end, like things start to happen. Your sleep can start to become more broken. Your appetite starts to get weird. You maybe feel like you need more naps throughout the day. You start maybe using more caffeine. Your desire to go to the gym can often uh, waver. And I mean, I've been there where like I've woken up and my first thought is, I do not want to train legs today. It's like nine hours away. Like, why am I thinking about it right out of bed? How much I fucking don't want to go train that day, you know? Um, so the fatigue happens. And so, I like, I think it's good to try to to mitigate that the best you can. Um, and then I, I have experienced what you've experienced too, though. On my prep, I trained uh, – I did take off days, but – far less than I normally would. Like I normally don't train six days straight. I only took Sundays off. And then I also only deloaded once every, uh, what was it? It was like nine or 12 weeks. I, I would go, I would go something like nine weeks before I would deload. 
And like part of that was because I split up my leg days so much that my leg days were just really short. So that was kind of nice and even it out. But um, I, I don't know what it is. Like if it's just that sometimes when you diet, there's a stage where you just feel healthier and feel fitter, like you're doing more cardio, you, you've lost some body weight, maybe gym progression has something to do with it because maybe your gym progression is slowing down so you're not beating on yourself as much with, with more rapid increases in, in volume tonnage and stuff like that. Um, or maybe uh, th there's the psychological aspect of just being motivated and being in prep and just not wanting to take days off, you know, and just wanting to be your best at the end of that prep. I don't really know what it is, but I definitely during diets, um, in some ways, in some ways just feel better and just better able to handle training. I don't know. Maybe I just get too fat and out of shape in the, in the, uh, improvement season off season. I don't know. No, I've got things to say. Did you um, I do. I, I, so I don't, I, I, I kind of feel that with Paul. And during the prep, I felt like I could train more, which kind of did make sense to me. But I don't know what it is. Like right now, if you told me to train Monday through Saturday, there's no way I could. Like I have a rest day tomorrow and I'm looking forward to it. And I don't know. I don't know if that's because, you know, you're, I'm heavier or what it is. But even though my sleep's gotten better since contest prep, I feel like my overall like work capacity has actually probably dropped and i don't know what to attribute that to i don't know if it's the gain of body fat um or or what yeah i mean in some ways you would think in prep like or you guys can tell me if this sounds stupid like in i guess i could see your sympathetic drive maybe being a little higher um from lower food and like being in a, a more stressed state in some ways but also i don't know if you guys I, I i have a really shitty method of recording my hrv like my my apple watch does it on its own i don't know how great that is but i i've just kind of watched it during diets and prep my hrv increases quite a quite a bit because now i'm doing more cardio and i'm not as fat my heart rate's getting a little lower and stuff like that well, not this past time because of all the stimulants and shit, but um, in some ways, you know, potentially like you're in a better, more parasympathetic driven state. Maybe recovery is a little better in some ways. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like I just got this whoop app, this whoop band thing, and I've been wearing it every day since I got it. Yeah. And like my recovery thing on this thing is horrendous. Oh, like, dude. It's so bad. Like, I haven't had a day over 50% recovery. <laughs> yeah, dude. So we, we had a female client who was religious about recording her HRV, but she came out of a prep or something um, as a new client, and she was like, my HRV is going – is getting awful. And I was like, well, one, HRV isn't really, like, a great predictor of recovery for, for what we're doing. And two, as you gain body fat and as you do less cardio, it's just going to look worse. Like <laughs> – Yeah. No, this thing, like, I've had red days this entire week. <laughs> <laughs> you, know why, you know why I don't like the fucking whoop? It's because, like – 
they make me say whoop every time and i just feel like i'm pronouncing it wrong like it should but then i'm like all right no it's not whoop it's got to be whoop and i'm like oh no it sounds even worse it sounds even dumber why can't you have just named it something so that sounds better than that but no paul i like what you said about those kind of bands and those sleep track hrv trackers it's like it's not a very good tracker or regulator of training for what we're trying to do here it's more of a regulatory tool than a prescriptive tool like it allows you to regulate your training if you're like a field sport athlete you know bad recovery the day before okay you know i can change today's practice to be a little bit easier so that we can put the more stressful practice style things sports specific practice on these given days whereas with a bodybuilder it's like Coach, you know, I just finished up my week four of training, my hardest week of training, and my whoop band tells me that I'm under-recovered. Like, well, yeah, well, no shit. We're pushing the training. This is what we're going for here. We're trying to push into, like, these these areas that are hard to recover from. So, of course, the band will reflect that. Well, also, uh, something to throw out there is that, like, for the bodybuilder, the, the cardiovascular, cardiorespiratory system, all that, like – that's not really like a great predictor of performance and like how good your training is going to be that day. And even for other sports where like there may be some stronger relationship with readiness or recovery or whatever, um, like you, you can have a shitty HRV and still have like a great performance, you know, hundred percent. but just for bodybuilding, I mean, yeah, I mean the, the fucking your, the, uh, what is it? R to R interval interval between your fucking heartbeats. Like fucking <laughs> has nothing to do with how like awesome, how strong you are that day, you know? Yeah. Listen, like, listen, I, band, I got into this. bodybuilding to maximize my left ventricular hypertrophy, <laughs> not to care about my recovery. Like, let's not get it twisted here. Here for a good time, not a long time. Sorry, Dom, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, you're good. Because well, I was talking about this with uh, the guy who told me to get this and I was like, Dude, it has some of my lifts at like a hundred calories burned. Like I did not burn just a hundred calories in this workout. And he and but he was explaining to me like it's because your heart rate doesn't come up and stay up long enough that it can't get a true reading on resistance training because it's it's so much different than like this whoop band is made for endurance athletes. You know, yeah. like you know people who do that kind of training. Um, I got it mostly because I just was curious um like with sleep and stuff but uh yeah i was like there's no way this hour-long leg day burned 150 calories yeah i think i think you gotta be in steady state for it to uh share some relationship to calorie burn yeah i think it needs to be sustained cyclical activity running rowing skating like jason does biking things like that where your heart rate comes up and then stays up for a prolonged period of time. Yeah. So like when I worked when I worked at Orange Theory Fitness, like people would come in on like eight scoops of pre-workout and they'd throw on their chest strap and the heart rate, like the workout hasn't even started yet. I'm just like explaining it for the day. And I look up at the board and their heart rates at like 140 and the calories are already just ticking. And I'm like, like Dennis, are you gonna be okay, man? And he's like, I'm just so excited for today's workout. I'm like, you're already at 400 calories, dude. Tone it down. Bring it down three notches, man. Put me on the rower, coach. Put me in. Oh, my God. So we would get these crazy calorie numbers where people would be like, you know, oh, I burned 1,400 calories in today's workout. And you don't have the heart in the moment to be like, 
well, you didn't. And then they're like, all right, well, I'm headed over to, you know, uh, General Sow's chicken to go eat 1,200 calories worth of, like, pork lo mein. Like, okay, I wish you the best of luck. I remember when I was designing my master's thesis, uh, I found, like, a study where they there was a relationship between HRV and recovery. Um, it was like a, a weightlifting study or whatever. And they took some other measures. And uh, the professor, Dr. Man- Mangine, I was like, I mentioned wanting to use HRV in a study. And he was just like, shut the fuck up. We're not using that. <laughs> We're not using that. That shit has nothing to do with lifting weights. I tried to explain to him. I like pulled out the paper. He's like, I'm going to shit about that one paper. We're not doing <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I look at my like I'll look at my Apple Watch and I very rarely do I look at my HRV, but there's days where like, you know, I'll have my traditional kind of bodybuilding training and I'll go and I'll skate and I'll maybe look the next day like oh, I felt really good yesterday. And it's like the worst reading ever. And I'm like, how does that even like it doesn't even add up like it makes no sense at all. So I, it's 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 just weird. And I don't really like to pay much attention to it. I think it's it kind like of gets in people's heads, too. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's like having a survey, right? HRV could be a part of that survey, but like on that survey, you never look at one question and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, got one extra hour less of sleep. We're just not doing it. We're, we're cutting your training in half today. You know, like, fuck you. <laughs> Let's get under a bar. Let's see how things move. If things move like shit, then like maybe we'll pull back today. <laughs> like, yeah. There are probably much better assessment tools when someone walks through the door in terms of how they're going to perform for that given day. Like Dom, I'm sure you're your guy who does a lot of the sports performance work at his gym. I'm sure he's not doing a lot of HRV measurement stuff. Uh, no, he's basing is. training off of it is what I should say. I don't know if he bases his training off of it, but every person in there wears a whoop. So what I've seen from a lot of sports performance coaches in terms of like recovery assessment is that they'll just have a baseline counter movement jump, uh, whether it be like on a force plate or just a standard vertex and just assess. He does a vertical jump if he thinks they're going to be asked that day. (laughs) So if they are truly fatigued and going to perform poorly, you're going to see that in a counter movement jump. So, you know, there are a lot of like predictive equations out there that say like, you know, or like a if they jump, you know, if they jump less than 85% of their baseline, like here's how you regulate their training for the day. It's not just going to be like, okay, what does your whoop app say? Oh, nope. Shut it down for the day. Like Paul was yeah. talking about. Um, and I dude, somebody will probably, who actually like reads this research is probably like, no, you're actually fucking wrong, Paul. But I, I would bet, um, <laughs> fucking that no one reads if, HRV research. It's if, too fucking boring. If, if there was like, uh, uh, somebody did like a correlation between like HRV in a shitty session and just asking you how you felt that day, that how you felt that day probably would be a better indicator. And we even know that alone, like you can feel like shit and still have an awesome fucking training session. You know, that's true. All right, let's get into this next one here. It is kind of an AM PM sleep recovery and performance question as well. So it segues pretty nicely Um, at Kelsey hug 23 asks, what are the benefits of lifting in the AM versus PM in regards to water slash food intake, your energy levels and more? So a lot of people will talk about this question from, uh, you know, training in the PM is probably better because you've had more of your food for the day. If you've had more calories, you'll theoretically have more energy. You'll be more hydrated. 
things like that. But you have people who wake up at, you know, four in the morning and they go and they absolutely crush the gym. So what's the explanation there? And what are some of the differences, the pros and cons to lifting in the a.m. or the early morning versus the p.m.? Who wants to start? I have stuff to say, but I feel like I keep starting. So somebody else. I'll Jason. Start. Oh, wow. Dom's Dom starting. Dom, go. Uh, so benefits. Uh, so I think first, uh, probably just schedule wise, how it is for the person. Um, you know, if it just makes more sense to train before work or after work, you're obviously going to go more with your schedule. Um, as far as like water intake and food intake, I don't know if you can necessarily be like more hydrated by the end of the day, because if your water just lacks through all the whole day, maybe you're not going to be as hydrated. So I think that's kind of a misconception. If you're not consistent with water, it doesn't matter if you're training in the morning or in the afternoon. You're just not. Well, you do get something like, what is it? 40 or six? I think it's 60% of your water intake actually comes from food, like your hydration. Oh, like carbs and stuff. Yeah. And then I think dehydration really only affects, is it peak power? I I think for dehydration, for it to impact uh, more anaerobic stuff, it has to be pretty significant. And uh, I thought it was mostly like endurance stuff, but Ryan probably knows more on that. Yeah. So with power performance, with peak power performance, it's probably hydration is probably not going to factor in given that you're not really pushing the limits. So I think that if you're in a two to 3% dehydrated status, you're not going to see any um, performance decrement given that the event is short enough in duration. So like a single high power output event, you wouldn't notice any decrement in performance. You actually might see an increase in performance with a two to 3% dehydration. If it's something where the individual, um, might be held back by body weight. So there's a reason why they dehydrate racehorses before the race. It's so that they are carrying less weight with them across the finish line. So if you are someone who is a long jumper, a high jumper, even maybe like a sprinter, it might be in your best interest to go into that slightly dehydrated, dehydrated one to 3%, anything above 3%. And when we get to 5% and above, we're just looking at possible health complications, regardless of what you see in terms of performance. When we extrapolate the event out over longer durations, we get we go from a 400 to an 800 to a 1200 when we start to have to tap into like buffering systems like having to like literally buffer out the metabolic acidosis those are those are going to be uh chemical reactions within this body that require h2o that are water dependent so dehydrating yourself could actually decrease the body's ability to buffer out acid so max strength max power probably not I mean, you see a lot of high, high level power lifters and extremely high level Olympic weightlifters that get on that platform dehydrated as shit. So we've got like raw nationals coming up and the Olympics is coming up for weightlifting. Both of those have a one hour weigh in. Plenty of those people who are going to set all time world records are going to do so in a somewhat dehydrated state. So you can still do it. It's when you push those into like endurance events, then you definitely don't want to be dehydrated because performance really falls off. Sorry, I rambled a little bit. Back to you guys. 
No, that's fine. I was going to say next, just make it consistent. Don't train in the afternoon one day and then the next day come and train in the morning. Because let's say you went after work one day, had your pre-workout at five o'clock, you trained, that caffeine affected your sleep, and then you tried to train the next day, your performance might be down in the morning the next day. I would just try to keep it consistent between what time of the day you want to train. Um, but back to the hydration thing, I wonder how that uh, interacts with like resistance training, like metabolite accumulation, like because we do have buff, we do see some buffering happening in like you know hypertrophy training when sets get up to that like you know threshold of like okay, there's a lot of lactic acid now. We can we can feel it. I wonder how that plays in a role with where we need to be hydrated-wise. Yeah, I would yeah I would agree with that. So if we're probably using some strategies like drop sets, rest, pause, even some things like myo reps, where we're pushing the metabolite accumulation, we may see you know that drop off in performance or irregularities in hydration might make it hard to track your performance over time if you're consistently doing myo reps from session to session. Here's kind of a Here's kind of a, an aside question that I get pretty frequently, and that's if I am someone who only has the option to train in the morning, like someone who has to train very early in the morning, do I need to eat before my training session? Some people will say, you know, I have to go train at five. I don't feel like eating before my session. Am I OK to just go and work out on an empty stomach and then eat directly after the training session? Or will that, you know, ruin my goals? I, I say yes. I say it's fine. I think if they eat that meal before bed close enough to going, they're okay. And then even while they're training, maybe you could suggest something like a cyclic dextrin and some amino acids just while they're training. And then they have like their first real solid meal of the day after training. I, I don't I don't think I don't think you'll put your body in such a point that it's gonna be like detrimentally catabolic because you didn't eat before your training in the morning. Uh, and then what if they perform better just on an empty stomach? Like, I'd rather take the performance than hinder performance just to make them eat something. Yeah, I think it depends on the individual. Some people can just train in that fasted state and not have much of an issue. I mean, I try to, uh, <clears throat> I try to do that because my one of my buddies, George, shout outs to uh, Fitness IQ, but he would train fasted back in the day and i'm like okay well i can do that too and i would train fasted and i would just feel like dog shit and i just uh, for whatever reason i just couldn't do it even when i even when i would have like a, a pretty large meal pretty close to bed i just didn't feel good and it turns out that i'm just not a morning person like no one should be around me for the first half an hour to 45 minutes that i'm awake but there was a time where i had to go to the gym that you know i had to be at work at like 5 30 in the morning so i would go to the gym at like 4 30 and luckily work was really close to the gym and uh, I would just have like a shake and a banana and even just that little bit of food. Like I would feel like kind of pukey, you know, <laughs> first thing in the morning. So, so it was like, and then I did basically what Dom said and I would just switch it up and I would just have, you know, some, uh, some amino acids or something like that. And that would kind of just like get me through. But I think it, it depends on the individual. Some people are just morning people like, you know, my wife wakes up in the morning, she hits the fucking ground running. And I'm like, and I, and I don't want to talk to anybody for the first half. 
like I don't want to go to the gym after being awake a half an hour, 45 minutes. So, I mean, it just, I think it really depends on the person, depends on their lifestyle. Um, you just got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah. So, um, according, like I, I've, I, unless it's, you know, more has come out to my knowledge, the, a lot of the literature, which I want to say is mostly in athletes anyway, not necessarily bodybuilders show that, uh, people tend to perform better in the afternoon or evening um, for the most part. And so potentially it could be better if you're, but there, there's always variation with people. Like some people are the circadian rhythm. It probably varies between individuals and stuff as well too. So it could be differences there. Um, and then I, I don't know that we really know why for uh, most people tend to perform better in the afternoon or evening. Um, I know that there has been some uh, relationship there. There have been relationships sort of seen or associations where like it could be core body temperature rises throughout the day. Uh, I know people have looked at uh, T to C ratio, which I feel like T to C ratio is just kind of garbage anyway. Um, I don't know how that changes throughout the day, though. I, I would think it might be better in the morning or maybe not because cortisol is high in the morning. I don't know. But That's um, test to cortisol people test to cortisol ratio. And, uh, God, I know there have been some other, other relationships seen, you know, just alertness is a thing. And then I, I think some of this research has shown though, if, if you do perform better in the evening, um, even something as simple as caffeine can offset that though, if you do need to perform in the morning and then, uh, stop pancake. Um, shit, there was something else, but like everybody else said, when you should train, like it's going to be highly dependent on you. And, and the most important thing is keeping it consistent if you can. I don't think it's going to ruin your training if like once or twice a week you have to train in the evening when you normally train in the morning. But like, yeah, if you take somebody who is constantly trains in the morning and then you just switch it up on them, like they're going to be more likely to perform worse for sure. I think some of that stuff can be in our heads as bodybuilders. I mean, I remember when I was a real piece of shit bodybuilder and I thought like, this is the only time I can go to the gym or else the whole thing's fucked and something would come up and Katie would be like, Oh, Hey, can you go to the gym at a different time? And I'd be like, no, like I, what? Like, no, I can't go to the gym at a different time. So I think like you said, I think it's mostly a, a mindset thing, like for yeah. sure, because probably you're, I think like, if you're not used to training at 5 a.m. on an empty stomach and, and you go do that, like, yeah, your performance might suffer a little bit. But for the most part, what we're doing isn't so demanding that we're going to see that in our training log, you know, like and we're not going to know it's the time of day. Like, OK, maybe you lose a rep on a couple of your sets. Like, is that really that bad? Is that really going to impact your outcomes that much? You know, how do you know you wouldn't have just maybe lost that rep anyway? Like it was fatigue from something else. Um but and then to answer your question, Ryan, in terms of training fasted, um, I would say probably fine. But I feel like going with Dom's um, suggestion of having a beverage like or having I, I feel like having something, whether it be like it could literally just be 10 grams of carbs. Like you might feel a little better, like drinking that during your session, you might maybe maintain like blood glucose a little better. I don't know, but you're probably going to feel better. And uh, I think you can get used to just about anything though. Like people who like I, I, my training feels like shit 
if I if I don't eat almost immediately before. I like eating right before I fucking go. But like that took time. Like the first time I fucking I remember I was in the army and I did PT and I'd have I had half a protein bar, threw up everywhere on a run. So like it took time for me to adjust to that. And honestly, it's just really hard diets have made me this way to where like I can't train and be hungry. Um but like if I decided to just fast and go train, like eventually I'd get used to it, you know? Yeah. No, I think with, in terms of what's the benefit to Dom's approach, just having like a, a tiny amount of carbs either during or like directly before you work out, all we're really doing there is just stabilizing blood glucose. When you start to feel like shit in a workout, it's usually just because your blood glucose has dropped and that, that hypoglycemia is causing you to feel like shit. So how do we stabilize that? It can be a very, very small amount. People trying to say like, oh no, I need to work, I need to, uh, you know, I need to eat, eat a big carbohydrate meal like two hours before I go to the gym or, you know, I'll run out of stored glycogen. Listen, yeah. dumb motherfucker. That's not how <laughs> digestion works, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you little dumb dumb. Come on over to my side. I'll pitch you on the little head and explain to you how digestion works. Like you're yeah. not going to literally run out of glycogen during a workout. So just having that little bit of carbs, maybe it's like a G2 Maybe it's like a Paul said beverage, and I just imagine someone like sipping a mimosa while they were like doing their morning <laughs> session. I, I, put, I literally put ten grams of carbolin in my yeah. fucking drink because that's yep. all you need. Like yep. <laughs> all we're really doing there is just stabilizing blood glucose. And yeah, I, I'm the same person. Like I can't. So when when we did Murph, I had. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for my pre-Murph meal at nine a.m.? I had one slice of toast. 20 grams of carbs, and then I went out and I did Murph. Why? Because if I had any more than that, I was going to vomit. I just simply cannot avoid that barfy. I, I will say this, though. If I have a client that asks me, like, if they should eat, like, my, I always tell them, if you can get something in, like, if it's, like, a Pop-Tart and, and a scoop away, like whatever. Like if you can get something in, I would rather do that because it's probably not hurtful. It may be helpful, but like you could be fine. And then the second option would be essential amino acids and like a little bit of carb in their drink. Yeah, and I, and I think the when is going to be the best time to train for you is super intuitive, right? It's like, you know the times of day that you've been forced to go to the gym and had a horrible workout. You know, if I ask you, what is like, what's the time of day when you have your best workouts? You can tell me. So just like use your own intuition there and your own anecdotal experience of like, what's the best time for you? Yeah. So, you know, like when I, when I was teaching, you know, I would get out of teaching and just be like sapped of energy and just like the, the world had taken my spirit from me. And I like did not want to train at all around that like you know six to six thirty time and you know that has persisted now uh, now i like that like two to three o'clock time and i think back to like when i was in high school like leaving high school after that final class for the day full of piss and vinegar just ready to absolutely rip it up to fucking dry scoop before anybody was dry scooping three scoops of jack 3d hop behind the wheel of my v6 mustang which i thought was fast at the time and just race my boys to the gym so we could absolutely trash a 34 set chest day like man i could really crush it and it was right around that 3 p.m time and that for me has remained when i prefer to train that has persisted all the way through 
to now, what seems like, you know, 45 years later? It's kind of a crazy question when you think about it. Like, thinking like it matters, like like your gains are predicated on when you train that day. Like, no, no matter when you train, the threshold of how hard you need to work to make gains, you can meet that. Right. I, I think like, I think people think that it matters because they're being told yeah. by others that it matters. It's like there's other people in the space that are putting out there like this, mm-hmm. like, you know, time to train based on blood type, time to train based on, you know, body type, all this weird They're fucking minutiae is out there. And people are like, whoa, like, what is any of this? What's the best time for me to train? So that's why we get questions like this all the time. I think, I think it comes from this. Oh, I think it comes from like that, like everybody wants to be evidence based. So they find like the smallest thing in the literature and they go, that's it. There's the solution. I need to train. I give you evidence. Yeah. I need and to train. I am two, based. Yeah. I need to train <laughs> at two o'clock in the afternoon because there's something called the midday lull that apparently has something to do with circadian rhythm. So right after that is clearly the time to train. It's like, so what I did is I told my boss, Hey boss, man, I need to leave work every day at 2 PM so that I can go train because of this article. And then I got fired and now I can train whenever I want. <laughs> All right, let's hit this third question here. At the dot tan dot one, this individual, what if this dude is just pasty as shit? What if this dude is just out here projecting his insecurities? The tan one, I hope you are very tan. Uh, He or she says, how to deal with the pressure of not being big enough and comparing yourself to others. Pros, I'm guessing pro bodybuilders included. Number one, accept that the first day you stepped in the gym, that's the biggest you were ever going to be. That pump that you saw in the mirror when you were like, oh my God, look what I've become. That's the biggest you'll ever be. Every single day from then, when the muscle dysmorphia, the body dysmorphia really starts kicking you in the head, like you'll just be smaller from there. Okay, there's my not serious answer. Now let's get some serious answers from the wise gentleman here. How do you deal with not being big enough? Because I'm never big enough. <laughs> I mean, acceptance. It's, uh, yeah, just accept. I mean, there's, there's obviously there's there's levels to this shit. At the end of the day, wow. um, you know, <laughs> there, I mean, there 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 just is. Um, and I as as cliche as it sounds, you can't really start to compare yourself with who you may see on stage, because if you do, it's just a mind fuck. Like it just doesn't. you'll you'll almost start as bodybuilders we question ourselves and that's why we do shit like wonder uh what's the best time to train in the day (laughs) (laughs) like that's so we're constantly sort of worrying about the things that may or may not affect our performance or may or may may or may not affect uh our placings but we have no control of who shows up i mean there's just there's nothing to control that so if you just kind of and it's tough especially when you first get started it's real tough to not be concerned with who is going to be on stage. I remember like when social media first sort of popped off and I was competing, I remember like finding like hashtag WNBF to like try to find who was competing in the show that I was competing in just so I could see how I was doing. And every single time I'd be like, Oh, I don't even know why I'm fucking doing this. This guy's clearly going to kill me. Um, you're the only one. You're the only one who has ever done that on this podcast. Know that you're very <laughs> unique there. Dom wasn't stalking people for his last show. I've never done anything like that. You know, 
I remember for Florida State, I found some like huge mofo that like entered at the last moment. I think I was like four weeks out. I literally woke up that morning and took pictures and I was like, I'm unstoppable. I'm unbreakable. No one will beat me. I saw pictures of that guy like literally like 37 minutes later. And I was like, why am I even doing the show at this point? I, let's just let's just hang up the old posing trunks and be done. So, yeah, social media is rough. Yeah, I just think we don't I don't think we have much of a control for that stuff. And it's tough. It's it's going to be tough to deal with that pressure, because as you get closer to stage, that pressure is going to accumulate because you're not only looking at yourself in the mirror and then now you're looking at what everybody else looks like and you have a terrible gauge of both of those things. You have a terrible gauge of the guy that's using the filter on Instagram of what he actually looks like. And then you have a terrible gauge of who you see in the mirror. So it's, it's, it's just difficult and it's tough. It's difficult pressure to dissipate over time. And it's just that mental game and it's always going to be there. So I don't think there's a way of dealing with it. The best way of dealing with it is this. You have no control with who's going to show up on stage. And there's a very good chance that somebody may be better than you and just kind of go into it just with that idea like, hey, I might lose this thing. And then just go from there. I like that. I think, well, depending on when you're listening, I posted a video on this the other day. Um, I think people uh, try to compare their progress to other competitors doing the same show. So it's like, I'm 10 weeks out, he's 10 weeks out, he's leaner than I am, I'm behind. But is that always necessarily the case? No. No, because you don't you know? know, yeah, you don't know what he's done to get to that look at 10 weeks out. He might run into some resistance there and might backtrack, whereas you've got this full head of steam and you continue to just like, roll right through the next 10 weeks that's a good point yeah and then, and then like you know again you see like uh just because somebody's gonna be bigger than you or you know just some because somebody's bigger than you doesn't mean they're gonna be better than you the day you compete or how whatever because so many variables go into that they could spill they're a bigger guy they think they need all these carbs before they get on stage it ends up being a disaster at the end I've seen it so many times where like my competitors would be like, oh shit, this guy's doing this show. Well, I've seen the guy compete a hundred different times. I know he spills or I know he does this. And I tell them not to worry because at the end of the day, anybody can look good leading up to a competition. It all matters how they look that morning. You know, they could have the best Instagram pictures ever, but that morning of they could look completely different because you don't know what could go wrong. Or you don't know what they're doing to their pictures, even. Because, I mean, I caught a guy editing his progress pictures he sent to me. <laughs> I went to save the picture, and it said, like, Facetune app, dot, 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 dot. And I was like, what the hell? He edited his picture and sent it to me. <laughs> That's so hilarious. You don't, know who's, you don't know who's doing what and stuff. Um, and you might. I don't think it should be a pressure, because, like, even I got asked the other day, somebody asked me like, oh, what are you going to do now? You're doing like this endurance stuff. And I said, I just want the physique that I want. And then they asked me, whose physique are you trying to achieve? And I'm like, mine. Like, I can't look at somebody and be like, I want to look like that guy, you know, because different muscle bellies, insertion, so many different things. But like, I think once you can like get over that, where like 
you, you, you can never compare yourself to somebody because you aren't them. Um, this sport becomes a lot of fun because then it's like all self-achievable. You're trying to achieve your own best physique. And you might surprise yourself. I mean, I've done, there was a show that I did in Macon and I did the same exact thing where I like, it was like hashtag whatever the show was and then tried to find all the people that I could be competing against. And the, you know, it, and this fella, he's the nicest guy ever, but he was like making Georgia's bodybuilding hero. Like he was the guy. And I was looking at his pictures. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely not like this guy's going to mop the floor with me. I've got no chance at all. And I went, I didn't know anybody in Macon. I had like no support whatsoever. And I went and I won and I beat the guy. So you, I mean, you can't really go into it thinking like, I'm going to lose because I'm comparing myself to this person or I'm going to win because I'm comparing myself to these people because you just don't know who's going to show up. You can't even really tell who's going to do well just by looking at everybody backstage. And in, unless you've judged a show before, you really don't know what competitors look like on stage because there's a completely different view from what everybody sees even from the crowd or from what you might see backstage from what you can see from the judges tape. Yeah, that's true. The mindsets are weird, man. The mindsets are very, very weird in physique sport. I mean, in sport in general, it's really shifted. Like, I was watching the the Mike Tyson documentary on on Hulu the other night, and like, I was like, man, like some of the best athletes of all time just have this one mentality, this united mentality of like, I'm showing up and I'm beating everybody they're not worried about who else is going to come to beat them. They're like, bring them all because I'll beat all their asses. Mike Tyson was always like, listen, I'm going to scare you so bad before we even fight because I will beat anyone. Put anyone in front of me, I'll beat them. Michael Jordan, same thing. Tiger Woods in his prime. Terrifying. Can you imagine playing against Tiger Woods in golf in his prime? Horrendous. Horrifying. Kobe Bryant. All of these like transcendent athletes have showed up with this mentality of if you sign up to compete and I'm there, you're fucked. I've already beaten you. And that is such a more fun way to compete and to operate than to constantly be in this defensive mindset of like, oh, man, who's going to show up? They might beat me like, no, you're going to be your best. Let them bring their best and operate under the assumption that my best always beats your best. And if you come in and you beat me, congratulations to you. You've beaten me. Stack up against me again next year, I'm going to whoop your ass. Wow. So have have this better, this more attacking, this this more, this better mindset because, you know, people are so self-defeating at this point that, like, before they've even stepped up on the, like, oh, you know, I feel like I'm going to hold a little bit of water. You know, I <laughs> strained my bicep two weeks ago. I don't know what it is on social media. You see someone have like a bad performance at like a powerlifting meet, and it's like, oh man, J.K. Rowling novel of all of this. You know, it wasn't my day. It was a learning experience. So and so showed up, and you know the weights were a little bit off. And I'm man, I'm just sick of it. I wish people would just strut their stuff a little bit more. Like I'm the shit. I know I'm the shit, and I'm gonna beat everybody. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. That's my rant. Cool. I think. Go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. I probably talked too much. Paul no, just wanted you... to throw in a cool. I always, always talk. But uh, I, I wanted to address it where 
Dom left off because you guys crushed the competition aspect. I want to address it from like um, the aspect of just in general life. Like I, I've I've had some clients, and I think even myself when I was younger, like was always comparing myself to other people. Like I, you just want to be the biggest dude, or like a female will be like, oh, like why does how can she stay this that lean all year and like I can't. Or why is their waist so small and whatever? And I, I just want to throw out like that if you're always comparing yourself to other people, you're just never going to be happy with with the shit that you accomplish. Like you you just won't because there's always going to be somebody fucking better. And that's the fucking truth of it, man. Um, I don't know what it is now, like what made me grow out of that of like maybe it's just because I finally reached a size where I'm like, oh, I'm pretty jacked. Like it's cool. Or maybe I'm just like older now and i just really give less shits um or just having enough clients that go through it where i'm like yeah it's just stupid to think about that all the fucking time um <laughs> but uh yeah dude you you really just gotta be able to put yourself in a position where you're uh really really happy with the progress you've made because it's fun i think a lot of people find it motivating early on to compare themselves to people and it like it gives them something to chase after until the day it's not motivating anymore and they realize they're just never going to be that person. Uh, like, it just, it is what it is, man. You know, you just got to do your best and fucking. What's up? It is what it is. You seen that meme? Uh -huh. We need to, we need to up our meme, our video meme inserting into videos. Jake, we gotta, we gotta start throwing those in there. And like sound effects and stuff, like bleeps and blurs and all that. Maybe a couple wham, 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 wham in there to start off the episode. <laughs> Two, man. Um, throughout like my prep, I almost went the whole thing without even thinking about looking up who's going to be at the show. Uh, but we we had a, a client that we worked with on together, Ryan, that was doing it at like hadn't even done his local show yet. and was already oh kind of like, I, I believe if my memory serves me wrong, that, that did happen. Right. Maybe I'm yes. wrong. I feel no, like right. I feel like it. Happened. Right. Um, and I think I was at the very tail end of my prep and I was like, I, I think we told him not to do that. And then I was like, why haven't I done that yet? And then so I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to try it. I couldn't find anybody, though. Just like a few bikini girls. And I was like, oh, fuck it. I don't care. Like, I don't know. I just I didn't think them. about that shit, you know, my, my the whole time. I was just like, so I think you, you just got to have like other shit in your life, man. Like, you know, that, that you care about where like there are some people, man, where they obsess over not looking like this next person in whatever season they're in. And it's like. I, I don't know, man. Bodybuilding can't be like the only fucking thing you care about that decides how fucking happy you are. Like, it's kind of crazy to me to think about like being sad or disappointed in yourself for not being at a certain level or looking like a pro. Like you took time out of your day. You went out of your way to find something to be upset about. Like, you know, like that's not a problem. <laughs> I, I mean, I know. think in my video that I posted, I made a statement that said, you have the first world luxury of doing this. Like, you can buckle down for four months, eat six times a day. That's 42 meals a week. You have the luxury of doing that. And yet you have the fucking balls to complain. <laughs> Dude, I think, like, I mean, what? 
that would usually get me through my prep is that I'd always, you know, when times weren't as good in life and there wasn't that much food, I'm like, I am basically putting myself through starvation. I can buy food. There's usually food in the house. I just decided that I'm not going to eat it for the next, I don't know, five to six months or whatever, how long, however long it takes. So at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a bodybuilding show. You, you put yourself through this. You can't really compare yourself to anybody else. Um, at the end of the day, you think like Chris Bumstead wins the Mr. Olympia. Do you think if Chris Bumstead walked into like any office that's just doing some regular ass office shit, you think if he walked in there, they would go, oh, there's Mr. Olympia. They really don't like I, I don't I don't know how to break it to most bodybuilders, but like most people don't care that much. So at the end of the day, it's like, don't, don't put the shit. Like if I saw Bumstead in real life, I'd just be like, I, I really don't give any fucks to talk to this dude. Like, you know why I would talk to him? I want to hear his lisp in person. That's the only reason that I would go talk to Bumstead. I want to hear him like lisp through a sentence. I, I would yeah, just like give him a sentence, like, "Hey, can you repeat this back to me real quick?" And I'll give you like twenty bucks, and just give him a sentence that has like a ton of s's in it, and just hear him like slowly like work his way through that. I'm like, all right, thank you, Mister Olympia. Have, have a nice day. Maybe I'd like feel his arms. I think what makes a great athlete, a great client, whatever, is when the goal is for that person and that's it. When they set the goal to be themselves, like when they generally are not upset about losing a competition or like I always tell, like I treated prep like prep was the unnecessary cherry I added to the ice cream sundae I made. Like I could have been fine without the cherry, but I wanted to do it for myself. Did it wouldn't have would it have changed what I made? No, but that's how I look at like com competition and stuff. Uh, it's not me versus the guy next to me. As cliche as it sounds, it's me versus me. But um, I think that was what makes an athlete great. And I prep a lot of people that now they've really changed over the past couple of years. Like when they lose, they're not upset because they recognize the improvements they recognize the physique they're growing into like they came to like you know they've came to accept that it's not a cop it's not about the trophy that you get at the end of it all do you know what i mean and at the end of the day like I, I think it's funny you bring up trophies and i'm not here to brag but i've got all these they're all they're all on the floor of my oh. office i i just like re i just moved my office around and like remodeled or whatever and like they're all on the floor and my wife's like what do you want to do with those trophies and i'm like real close to just tossing them because i'm like i don't <laughs> what like, what do i need these for anymore so i think the pressure that someone would put on themselves and the tan one there's a lot of other shit in life that you should be pressured about or feel pressure about and whether or not you do well on a bodybuilding stage is probably way down the list of those things. So don't take that too seriously because at the end of the day, the large portion of the population of the world doesn't really care that much. You know, so just kind of take it all in stride, put the pressure on yourself to just be better every day, but don't worry about who's gonna show up next because there's always that dude that doesn't even use social media and nobody knows who the fuck he is because he works on some farm somewhere every day. And he's just going to show up and there's nothing that you can do about it. So just take that in stride. Realize there's other shit that may be more or should be far more important than that. And just, you know, don't sweat it, man. It's, it's not the most important thing on the planet, how well you do on a stage.
when they look back through the annals of time, they'll say, Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, sure, they did a lot for society, but they didn't look like Ronnie Coleman. So toss them out. There can be only one king, and it's Big Ron. He will go down as our true Lord and Savior. The tan one, I hope we answered your question. Uh, we've been going for quite some time here, guys. I think some really good uh, good convo went down, some good content for the YouTube peoples. Folks, I hope you enjoyed it. Anything you guys want to circle back to or leave the people with before we call this thing a day? That was a good that was a good way to end it. That was a good combo to have at the end. A great one to end it, to leave you with. All right, guys, as always, like, comment, subscribe, do the YouTube stuff. The algorithm stays <coughs> fucking your boy daily on the regular. We should have stupid subscribers at this point reeling in dummy ad revenue. But our ad revenue is so small and we stay awake late at night trying to figure out how we're going to get this together so we can so we can buy what are we buying with our ad revenue? You know what I want to buy first with our ad revenue? I want to buy Christina an old little pug for her because all she ever posts about is how she wants to rescue an old pug. So that is the first thing we are doing with our ad revenue. We are sending a rescue dog, preferably one that is not house trained at all, directly over to Paul's house. Guys, we'll see you on the next one. Paul might be a little bit angrier on the next one because you'll have a dog shitting all over his house, but that's just how things roll over at Gifted Performance. Guys, Stay gifted. We'll see you on the next one. Peace. One love. Oh, look at you.